Yes, indeed, we do need a revolution. We need a health revolution. And that's what we're starting here on an Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW, a health revolution, one conversation at a time. I hope all the listeners out there are doing well, staying strong, uh, doing a lot of research. We are living in some pretty crazy times right now with all sorts of things being thrown at us. And it takes a little bit of time to to research, to squirrel away and, and find out, you know, your own thoughts and your stance on any particular subject. Um, I wanted to mention that last week uh, when President Trump was um, just going into the hospital at that time, I had mentioned a treatment that he had been given, an investigational polyclonal antibody treatment. And I described it by saying that it was fighting the body in a natural way. And, and that's not accurate. So I apologize for that. I, I didn't um, characterize it accurately. And I always want to come back to my listeners and let you know, you know, when I uh, misdescribe something. So it really, it attempts to mimic what the body does, the natural thing the body does. Um, and it's that mimicry that makes all the difference. So the manufacturer of that antibody treatment describes it as, um, this is Regeneron, um, our novel antiviral antibody cocktail is being studied for its potential both to treat people with COVID-19 and to prevent SARS-CoV-2 infection. Our COVID-19 related discovery efforts started in early 2020 when we began producing hundreds of virus neutralizing antibodies in our genetically engineered mice and identifying similarly performing antibodies from human COVID-19 survivors. So, you know, once they identified uh, those COVID-19 survivor antibodies, then they began to clone them in their lab. So it, it is, um, you know, genetically engineered product and it does seem to have some potential, uh, but I just wanted to correct um, myself there so that you guys sort of understood what's going on. And like I always say, you're, I'm not giving you medical advice, I'm not giving you legal advice. And I hope I'm just the starting point to inspire you to go research. You know, we don't always, we don't wanna really take the word of any talking head on the radio or TV or anywhere. Let's all do our own research. And, and uh, one of the things I love about our movement, the, what I would call the medical freedom movement is we self-police. Now in this case, I self-police myself like five minutes after I got off the air and I realized what I had said. <laughs> but I think it's fantastic in, in the way that we all reach out to each other and try to make sure that we're as accurate as possible um, because science is never settled. It's, it's always changing. Um, good news is, is most of us will not ever need anything like an antibody cocktail that's cloned in a lab. Most of us just have to reach for the shelf for the vitamin C or D to make sure we're eating right, we're taking care of ourselves and our immune systems, which are so beautifully designed by nature, um, can do the job for us. And even with this virus circulating now, um, it has been shown through the data that 99.74% of us do absolutely fine with exposure and our immune systems are, are up to the task, um, especially if we keep them supported. 
So, you know, if, if some of these natural protocols that I've mentioned on the show before are new to you, um, I encourage you go to um, informedchoicelaw.org, um, the website um, where I am public policy director. Uh, we have a lot of information about vaccines and about COVID in particular, um, being keeping track and putting everything up on the website about COVID treatments and the development of COVID-19 vaccines. Um, and another website is healthimmunitynow.org, uh, which is just about treatments. So you can go explore there and find out how you can empower yourself to learn about what treatments are available or are always available for treating um, infections. Um, we're going to move really quickly now into our theme, our topic of the day, because I have a fabulous guest um, coming on. We're going to be talking about the fifth estate. So um, I had to actually sort of look up a definition of that because I'd heard of the fourth estate, which is the media, but I wasn't quite sure what the first uh, three estates were. So I looked it up and I found out that the first estate is um, the executive branch. So it has a certain amount of sway over the thoughts and opinions and politics of a society. The second uh, is a state is the legislative branch. So Congress and our elected officials. The third estate is the judicial branch. So the Supreme Court and all the lower courts. And then the traditional media, turning on the TV, CNN, all of those, that would be the fourth estate. And traditionally, it was that fourth estate that did all that wonderful investigative journalism that would investigate corrupt government you know, people and agencies that would investigate corporations and tell us the truth about what they might be up to. But more and more, it's, it's seeming like that fourth estate is controlled by, co-opted by, or sponsored by the very estates <laughs> that we wanted them to keep an eye on for us. So what emerged with all these wonderful social media platforms um, has been what's called the fifth estate, uh, non-traditional sources of news. Um, and that is where the wonderful guest that I'm bringing on today comes in. Her name is Allison Morrow, and she is an independent journalist. She quit her TV news career in 2019 after 12 years as a reporter, most recently in Seattle, where she was the environmental reporter for King TV. She's the recipient of not one, but two Emmy Awards, as well as the Society of Professional Journalists Sigma Delta Chi Award for Excellence in Journalism. Welcome to an Informed Life Radio, Allison. Hi, thanks for having Hi. me. <laughs> Hi. Um, yeah, just so thrilled that you're here. I had, I've had several conversations with you on this, this topic of news, what is reliable, what censorship is happening. So go ahead and you know, tell listeners a little bit about your passion for this particular subject. Oh, man. Well, <laughs> how long do we have? Three days? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I guess bottom line, um, the reason that I got onto YouTube and started talking about the fourth estate from now the fifth estate is because I am concerned that the depictions of reality, depending on what you're consuming, are not even just different. They are completely 
they don't even they're they don't even exist in the same dimensions and so people have these broken relationships on a sort of a familial or friendship level all the way to um causing some serious rifts in our communities and in society at large based on information that is so divergent depending on where you're going for your information that people aren't even perhaps recognizing that they're not talking about the same facts at all. And so if we're at that point where we're not even agreeing on the lexicon anymore, we can't even agree on like no one trusts anybody where we have drawn the line in the sand, we've gone to our separate corners and we're speaking completely different languages. Where does that leave us as mm -hmm. people who are trying to live together, you know, in, yeah. in, a, in a society in some kind of harmony. And so I got concerned enough. Not, it's not the main reason I left news, but it is the main reason I started speaking out about the concerns I have in the way that media is done nowadays, the way journalism is done nowadays. Because I guess at the end of the day, I want to be able to look at my daughter years from now and say that, you know, if in fact, like everything just does go to hell, that I like, well, at least your mom <laughs> warned people that we were headed in that direction. But at best, to be able to slow the train down from the station, it's already out, right? But maybe I can at least help people see how it works so that they can become better consumers of it so that they don't just kind of go out there and make decisions thinking, I got this fact from somewhere. And so these people who don't agree with it must be any number of negative things. They can at least recognize I got this idea from somewhere, but whether it's factually accurate, I need to do some more digging and at least recognize that I am consuming something that is a product, not necessarily an objective reality and a product that is marketed in a certain way. And I don't know if we ever go back to the way things used to be, or I think probably we're gonna just continue going down the world of journalism as a business model, but at least the, the consumers are aware of that and the way that it works behind the scenes, then they can just become more informed about how to use that content for their decision-making. Yeah, I, I love that. I, you, you said it all so eloquently. This is exactly where we are. And we have, a, we have so many different layers now, though, to dig through. It's not just that you, you know, can't turn on the TV, listen to it, and say, okay, I'm going to look a little further. Because often you look further and you go to a fact checker. And the fact checker supports what you just heard. Unless you fact check the fact checker right. to see what sort of bias they might have. I had a, a really interesting back and forth email dialogue with a very dear friend and we're like sort of polar opposites on, on some issues and other things we agree 100%. And what we agree on most is we love and respect each other. And so we're gonna have this wonderful dialogue. Um, but she kept coming um, up with, well, this fact checker said this. And so then I went and looked up the fact checker and said, well, they say this and this and this, and then here is the actual source, the published science or whatever that supports what I am saying. And, you know, it's sort of mind boggling. And so you have to do so much work to try to figure out today. 
Yeah. Um, even what you want to then feel is solid enough to use as the basis to begin to develop your own opinion right. and your own stance. Right, right. Oh. Yeah, the idea of a of an independent fact checker in today's world is is rare. <laughs> it's a, it's and especially as you see that like social media sites like Facebook and uh, Twitter are now playing nanny for information based on biased, frankly, fact checking machines, and then completely obliterating information that violates that. Mm-hmm. It's it's concerning enough, like I said, that I am speaking publicly about an industry that I loved. I still mm-hmm. believe in journalism wholeheartedly. Mm-hmm. And I have a lot of friends who are still very well-meaning people who are trying very hard to battle sort of this current that is taking us, I think, in in not a great direction. But but yeah, it's it's not just anymore like that you're just worried about is the nightly news biased. It's like all of these other things. The nightly news is almost is like lower on the poll at this point compared to what is YouTube doing to censor things or what are search engines like I've had videos that I've done on my YouTube channel besides just minor the minor side is getting demonetized so they're less likely to be seen. But now I had a video recently where if you Google the exact title, you can't even find it. I mean, mm-hmm. it doesn't even come up in Google search results. Mm-hmm. Other videos I've done have, but that one, I guess, was it got more than a million views. It was about covering Antifa. It was a very, um, you know, I, I, I did, a, in my opinion, a very sort of logical explanation of what it was like covering them, but it's a very controversial topic right now. We seem to have uh, lost you, uh, Allison. There, she's when she pops back in. I'll let her continue because she is telling us about a wonderful one of her journalistic um, podcasts that she did on YouTube uh, about Antifa, and she was just talking about how she covers it, how journalism covers it, and that has been shadow banned by YouTube. I think what what can be um, so extremely frustrating about all of this is that you just don't even know where to begin. The uh, major media outlets used to have budgets where they would hire journalists who would then um, go out and and deeply research and, and write stories based on what they discovered. And as things moved more toward um, big corporate ownership of smaller stations and budgets became cut, then more was pulled off the newswire. And once it came off the newswire and, you know, you didn't have the personnel to check it out. And so everybody's saying the same story and it's not vetted and you get this similarity and uh, homogeneity of, of the news coming across with nobody really digging deeply, especially when the news coming across the wire and press releases is from major organizations that we are told we must trust and not question like the CDC or the FDA. Um, and so it it gets very uh, frustrating when you see it from the outside, when you, when you begin to understand how the news is presented to you. I can see our Allison is back now. Yay. Um, <laughs> I was so deep into what you were telling us that I ha- it took me a moment to, to uh, 
to continue on without you. <laughs> uh, now we can't hear you. We're going to have to get your sound back. Can you unmute? Yes. Okay. Sorry about that. That's all right. But it's the so, rural lifestyle. We moved out to the middle of nowhere so that I could pursue this kind of career. But part of the problem is that we moved out to the middle of nowhere. So that's yeah. not the greatest for Wi-Fi. But yeah. So I hope you got kind of the point is just that if, if just cause you Google something or you look for something on YouTube or you don't see it on the mainstream media, it doesn't mean it didn't happen. It just means somebody, whether it's an individual journalist or it's a massive corporation has decided to keep that information from your view. And so, like I said, again, am I Allison Morrow going to fix all of this? No, but could I at least tell consumers that, listen, this is this is an actual game with a field of rules that are all being sort of moved around mm -hmm. behind the scenes. And you just at least need to know what you're getting. I was listening to uh, journalist Matt Taibbi the other day talk about this. And he, he says like, he just wants people to understand that consuming news is just like buying a donut. Like you need to know that you're buying a product and that it's made to taste a certain way and look a certain way and it's packaged a certain way and it's meant to give you a certain feeling when you consume it. And mm -hmm. as long as you at least know that, then, you know, you can be better, you can be better informed about what you're getting so that you don't necessarily just swallow it whole thinking that, you know, the person who didn't see the donut your way, is just mm -hmm. crazy. You know, yeah. it's just like, at least to realize that when you guys are going, if you watch one station or you're on this channel or whatever, you're literally walking into different bakeries and they are saying these are all donuts, but they're not the same. No, um, that they're all donuts, but they're not the same. And yet, like when you were off the air for their few minutes, in some ways they are exactly the same um in that they're all getting the information from the same place often and that you know without vetting it without digging deep um but what you're touching on allison and i hope you get to join us again because you cut out again um is the the way that they can censor by just not including by just not covering a topic for instance it, most people did not hear the brilliant speech that Robert F. Kennedy Jr. did in Berlin recently, talking to a crowd of potentially one million people that were prote protesting in Germany, the lockdowns and the masking and all the harms to their society being caused by their government's response to, to COVID-19. Uh, the that was either not covered or it was covered completely inaccurately with the number of people minimized and the and false things said about who was organizing it. Another um, another huge incident that I recall, like in the year about 2000, there was a transcript that was released through public records. It's called the Simpsonwood transcript. If you go to informchoicewa.org and put in the search engine Simpsonwood, you can find it. So in the year 2000, there was a, a big meeting between CDC, um, other health and human services, higher ups, and the pharmaceutical industry, and some chief scientists that had been looking really closely at the impacts of mercury thimerosal on um, vaccine injury, children's neurological development, um, neurological injury. And so they held this big secret meeting that they never intended to go public. And 
basically in a nutshell, what they decided was the, the amount of mercury that children being exposed to was causing harm. It was causing some neurological uh, injuries and something had to be done, but because they, they feared a panic and they didn't want this to get out there and have everybody just stop vaccinating, they decided to keep it to themselves. And then they would just slowly back out of having so much mercury in vaccines. But this public records request was done and it came public, but you didn't hear about it on CNN or CBS. 60 Minutes did not cover it. You would have thought it would have been huge news, but you don't find it anywhere except for on alternative media or medical freedom websites. And it's, it's, it's a pretty um, powerful document. I encourage you guys to go read this, this transcript. So um, just not telling the American public things, Allison, I think is very disturbing. Uh, we have a president now that's very controversial and the news, major news stations is often not covering uh, press conferences. They're just deciding not to tell the public what he has to say. And I just think no matter what you feel about the president, to censor what he says uh, just seems to be not quite the right approach. <laughs> it seems very un-American and unconstitutional. I don't know if it's unconstitutional. Maybe it is. Um, those medical, those, those freedom rights. Um, Allison, are you back with us I'm again? Back. Okay. <laughs> I went and reset the router, so hopefully it won't happen again. Oh, that's fantastic. Okay, that's all right. This is live radio and it happens. You know, and uh, Bernadette likes to talk, but I was less prepared with some some points because you are so brilliant on this subject. I wanted to give you like the full hour. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but you bring a good perspective too, because you look at this from the health angle. And I mean, obviously the information sector, whatever you want to call it, it deals with health and many other things, but yeah. health brings up just like when I was an environmental reporter, health brings up other angles, politics, the environment, uh, cultural values, uh, freedom of speech. So mm -hmm. it's not just health or it's not just journal. I mean, they're, they're, it's a cross section of all kinds of really important ideas. And I think like when you were asking earlier about why I'm so passionate about this, because frankly, my number one thing that I'm really the most passionate about is talking about like supporting your local farmers. I'm really into meeting my guys and gals off the side of the highway and buying direct and and feeding my family really good high quality food and, and its role in health and everything. But if the way that we do information sharing is going to continue down this path that it's on right now, then it doesn't matter what the information is specifically because the, the context and the structure of the vessel is so damaged that it, it doesn't matter what we're talking about anymore. So I could spend all day going on and on about supporting your local farmer, but if YouTube doesn't like that idea, then it, what does it matter? And so mm -hmm. that's when I realized that I have to use my background as a journalist and somebody who's been behind the scenes in this industry to shed light on where we're heading. Because if I ever want to talk about my passion ever again in a format, in a, in a world where people are can access that information, then I first have to deal with the vessel itself and help people who are on the front lines of saying, you know, I think, I think we're heading into some murky waters and we really should start figuring out 
how to do this better. And like I said, even if it's not necessarily an immediate solution, it's at least giving people the understanding of what they're consuming instead of just being like bots, you know, just, you're mm -hmm. just being manipulated. I don't know if your, your viewers or your listeners have seen the social dilemma. I haven't seen it yet. The Is documentary, that a movie? Uh, say it again. It's a, it's a film. It's yeah, it's, it's a documentary. I think you can get it on Netflix. Um, but it's about basically how the social media, the way the social media companies are and these sites are set up has created exactly the environment where we're sitting like, wow, it's just, I don't want to be on Facebook anymore. It's such a dumpster fire. I can't, you know, unfollow, 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 you know, people getting into these long arguments with each other. And you think it just randomly became this way. But what the documentary shows is that actually like we have, we've gotten here by reason. There's a reason that we're all communicating this way. There's a reason we're angry at each other. There's a reason that we can't get along. There's a reason that we have such divergent views of reality. And it's not just by chance that, that, and, and I, like I said, I haven't seen it. I've just, I've just heard many, many people comment on it and, and seen some reviews about it. So it's definitely like on my short list, but it makes sense also in comparison with what I saw in the media industry and how, that world did some similar things though. I think when it comes to social media, I mean, this is on your phone constantly, your phone is always next to you. So you don't even get away from it anymore. Whereas mm -hmm. where the news maybe was at six or 7 AM and then maybe noon and then maybe six or 11 o'clock at night, not only have the news cycles gone to a 24 hour on cable, but you also now have these cell phones that are always connecting you to these really just very uh, volatile worlds of communication and, and people are starting to lose their minds, but they're thinking like, <laughs> oh, I, this is just the way it is, but it's not just the way it is. It's, yeah. it's been a choice yeah. and it's been, yeah. it's been constructed that way. And you are mm -hmm. being uh, in a lot of ways, you're being used for the purpose that it was set out to do. And so as long as people just recognize that, I've had a lot of friends who have said, I'm just going to delete this stuff off my phone because I, I just don't have the ability to not check it. So I'm just taking it off my phone as a security precaution. We have a young kid. I don't know what is gonna, the world's going to be like. She's only five months old, but I, I'm, I'm worried we'll have these things implanted into our brains by the time she's five. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we definitely have to have to take action. And, and that's a good place to leave it. We're going to um, go on a quick break here. You're listening to an informed life radio on 1150 AM KKNW. We'll be right back. Did you know that in 1986, Congress passed the National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act, granting liability protection to drug companies for injuries and deaths caused by their vaccine products recommended to children? Did you know injuries and deaths of pregnant women and their unborn children were added to the act in 2016? Did you know that on February 4th, 2020, drug companies who make COVID-19 vaccines were placed under the liability protection of the Public Readiness and Emergency Preparedness Act, known as the PrEP Act? To learn the history of how we got here in order to protect yourself now and in the future, you must see the film, 1986, The Act. Go to 1986theact.com today. Hi, I'm Lynn Redwood, president of the nonprofit Children's Health Defense. Our chairman, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and our entire team 
are devoted to ending the epidemic of illnesses and disorders plaguing our children today. Through legal action, we're working to hold industries and government agencies accountable and to establish safeguards to prevent further harm. We're working overtime during this COVID-19 crisis to keep you informed about the politics and science of rush vaccine candidates. Freedom and our children's futures have never been more in jeopardy. But we can succeed. With your help, we can stop the devastation and give our children and grandchildren the healthy future they deserve. To learn more about what we're doing and how you can help, visit childrenshealthdefense.org and sign up for our free news. Please visit childrenshealthdefense.org today. Need information about your child's vaccinations? Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization of parents, family members, medical professionals, educators, and Washingtonians from all walks of life. They believe in personal freedoms and individual choices, including healthcare choices. Their mission is to advocate for vaccine policy reform based on scientific integrity and individual health needs, to promote education about healthy immunity, and to protect informed consent and medical freedom in Washington state. To stay informed, visit informedchoicewa.org. Informed Choice Washington envisions the future where every doctor is fully trained in identifying vaccine risk factors and recognizing vaccine injury. Every child is afforded a personalized approach to disease prevention, and every parent has the freedom to make the best health care decisions for themselves and their families. They know every child matters. Go to informedchoicewa.org today. Welcome back to an informed life radio on 1150 AM KKNW. I'm your host, Bernadette Pager. And with me today is independent journalist, Allison. I'm looking at your name on your screen, but it's Allison Morrow is your professional name, I guess. Yeah, don't give um, away the real name. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, we're, we're talking about, you know, where do you get your information from the fourth estate, which is major media, the fifth estate, which is social media. And, you know, um, I get my information everywhere. I really work hard um, to listen across the board. So I know what everybody is saying. And I, I feel like I hear truth everywhere and I hear false statements or misleading statements everywhere. Uh, so, but knowing what everybody else is talking about helps me find sort of sometimes common threads, common ground to begin to understand what everybody really wants. So every, you know, and basically most of us just want, we want health, we want um, avenues to pursue our, our dreams. Uh, we want um, justice. Those are, you know, there's so many things in common that we all have. And so I think one of the ways to fight through the very diverse controlled narratives out there is to always look for that common ground um, and try to have those conversations from there with people you know and love in your life <laughs> so that you don't lose friendships in this crazy time and you don't have estranged family members in this crazy time, which is happening um, you know, more and more. I don't know about you, but I've had people unfriend me that um, simply for posting an article on science that uh, differs from their stance. It's crazy. Yeah, I did a video a couple of years ago before we were even where we're at now on about superiority 
hurting our ability to have these debates because I don't really think that there's anything new to folks having different opinions on on current events or whatever else. What's what to me is very damaging is the moral superiority that goes along with it. And when you have the idea that somebody who disagrees with you is not just wrong, but somehow somehow sort of inferior in a very existential way, mm-hmm. then there's no real way to have a good faith dialogue about our differences. And so I think a lot of this is sort of pointing us to a really deep question about who we are and who we want to be more so than I think the cacophony of, of, of debatable topics. There's an opportunity, I think, for all of us to really sit back and do some self-reflection. Why does this person drive me so crazy? Why do I get angry when the person that I supposedly love says these things? Like what, what is it? Because you can disagree with somebody without losing your cool, right? These are, these are possible. And so to, to really sit back and say like, what is it about that idea or that person that just makes me so upset where I just feel like, Oh, I got to hit that unfollow button or that, uh, that unfriend button. And I, or I'm not going to ever have dinner with them or I can't talk politics. That's, that's something that you can't really, you know, you, you can't necessarily, um, find a news source that's going to do that for you. You, you, you people ask me all the time, like, where should I go for independent? Where should I go for this kind of journals or that kind of journal? Like I always say that first and foremost, like you got to start looking at yourself in the mirror and say like, well, who, like, as who am I that I come to these news sources with? Like what kind of attitude am I bringing to the table? Because that's going to filter everything else from there. And, and I think really society, I mean, we look at these big problems and they, they're on this sort of meta level, like the Supreme court or COVID-19 healthcare, big pharma, all this stuff, but it's all just a grouping of individuals. And, mm-hmm. you know, national, we used to say that national news is really just local news that's put on a national uh, platform and local news is just a community. It's just mm-hmm. a group of people, you know, a, multiple families trying to figure it out. So to me, it's kind of got to start there. I'm sure that shows my own bias, but I, I think like that's definitely something that I've been chewing on for a long time is why are we bringing these senses of moral superiority to conversations instead of saying we're equals, maybe we disagree, let's try to talk this out instead of I'm going to talk down to you and, and sort of cast you out of my, my view and out of society because I find you to be repugnant. You know, I, I, we have these sort of these purity standards now, of like who we're willing to talk to or mm-hmm. who we can associate with. I had a friend the other day who's actually a journalist who texted me. A, she sent me a video about a particular topic that was trending in the news. And she's like, I don't agree with everything this person says, but blank, blank, blank. And I wrote her back and I said, why did you have to qualify your video share with? I don't agree with everything this person says, but. Mm -hmm. Like, why would you think I would assume you would agree with everything this person says, but that's how we qualify our relationships now. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't agree with everything. So don't judge me. Right. And it's like, but I like to talk to everybody. I've always been that way. When I was a journalist, that was the thing that I prided myself in with my work was that like, I was not going to back down from difficult topics and difficult interviews because I was genuinely curious about 
other views. And I, and I mm-hmm. wanted to let those people inform me. And I think partially because I just wasn't very emotionally attached to them. And so as I started to think about like, where does this emotion come from? I, I do believe a lot of it comes from this, this sense of, of like superiority about our own side and the repugnance of the other person and the other side. And that has to be dealt with if you're ever going to have a good faith conversation with somebody who's different than you are. Yeah. What, what's the term? I, I, I can't think of it. It's that's really popular right now when you're judging somebody based on their stance. Identitarianism. Is that uh, what no, you're No, that's not, of? that's a good one, but I, that's not what I was thinking of, but it, it seems to be that there is, there is just so much judgment in, in somebody's making a stance that where we haven't, I can see why your friend apologized because there is the social judgment that if you don't take what is the most popular stance right now and you dare to say so, you know you're going to be attacked. If you say, I read the science on masking and I don't think it's good for the general public, don't say that in downtown Seattle or you know you will get, you know, verbally, if not physically attacked by somebody who's so pro-mask that, you know, it's, there, there's just this over the top um, emotion that has been put on people's stances that didn't used to exist. Maybe it's because like you said, we are so immersed in it. It's not just turn on the five o'clock news once a day, but we're saturated in it. And when it comes to COVID, I tell you that first week when they really began like that stay home, stay safe, it was a little freaky. Cause one day I was not staying home. I was being safe, but on my way to the store, I turn on my phone and my phone tells me, is this trip really necessary on the, (laughs) on the map function? I'm thinking that's crazy. And then I'm driving down the road and the overhead sign says, stay home, stay safe. Don't drive if you don't have to, you know, and then I get to the store and all these signs are telling me this. And then it's on the speakers telling me this and I get in the car and it's on the radio. And then I go home and I'm developing some different things for my work with Informed Choice Washington. And I go to this wonderful website that I go to, to design some things. And as I begin to type in infection and COVID, something pops up and it says, the CDC says, and this design platform is trying to provide me templates for what I should say regarding this subject. Everything's saturated in messaging of a certain angle type, right? Right. And yeah. Yeah. And then it gets labeled like dangerous and then you're dangerous if you share it. And, you know, I've seen how this works behind the scenes on YouTube. I think we've talked about this on other broadcasts of yours where I had two videos. One was about the Chaz chop in Seattle that Mm -hmm. you don't remember that it was sort of the, um, the kind of the takeover of several blocks of one neighborhood in Seattle. And um, then I also did a video about people out protesting uh, COVID-19 economic shutdowns and mm-hmm. YouTube flagged my COVID-19 protests as dangerous content and demonetized it, which basically means it doesn't get the eyeballs that another, cause if YouTube can't make money off of it, it's not going to show it to a lot of people. Right. So that's the problem is it's not like I make a ton of money, but it, it's not that it's not just not going to get out there. Whereas the Chaz chop where several people were shot, you know, somebody died. Mm-hmm. Um, we know from 
uh, former police chief Carmen Best that they couldn't get emergency services in there, that it was mm-hmm. a serious problem responding to um, violent crime. Mm-hmm. That was not demonetized as dangerous content. So, you know, as you were saying earlier about the fact checkers, like who's telling you that this is dangerous or not dangerous? YouTube for COVID goes by WHO guidelines. We know the WHO has gotten things wrong. So mm-hmm. when it comes to COVID, but so why are they always right now? And and so, yeah, there are all these forces. It's very difficult, but now you can see why people have finally said like, well, I'm just going to find my own corner of reality because I don't trust anybody else. And mm-hmm. then they lose the ability or even the understanding that there are other ideas out there that may actually be valid, but people are gotten have gotten so skeptical. And I think really that is ultimately my my reason for talking about all this is because I do think like we could get to the point in the near future where there could be like an asteroid coming towards earth and the journalists are really going to need the public to pay attention at that point. Right. It's like, we've got an asteroid coming to earth. It's going to be here in one hour. And, and there will be a significant part of the public that's just going to be like, screw you guys. You know, you got everything else wrong and you're just, you've just been trying to divide us for years. I'm I'm not going to go out with the asteroid. I don't believe there's an asteroid coming at all because there's been so much like, you know, cry wolf, cry wolf, cry Mm -hmm. cry wolf and, and slanting and, and, and just, you know, stuff that, that, like I said, if you, depending on who you're watching, you're watching completely different realities that, that people have gotten to the point where they, they don't trust the stuff that really actually we do need to start talking about. And Mm -hmm. that to me is really the danger is like, okay, we're going to get to a point where there will be something that we really need to, we need to, to talk about and people will be incapable of doing that. And now, and now we've got a really serious problem on our hands. I agree. And um, sort of perversely, one of the ways in which information is attempted to be controlled is through an entire business about false information. So there are, I attended at the UW um, uh, a, a course on, actually it was the, the professors who taught the course. They were doing it at another event that I attended on, on fake news, false information, and how to spot it. And when I brought up something that was truly false information in regards to science, and I, you know, was able to show them this, this, and this, they, they like shut me down because it didn't match what they thought was fake news, right? And so even the people teaching about fake news um, have a certain bias and mindset about what they say that you should be able to trust. Right. And it's become an entire industry that people then follow and, oh yeah, it's fake news. And I'm so sick of the term fake news and, and, or misinformation. And they will use it when somebody just, um, uh, says something, uh, explains it a little bit wrong, or they worded something, um, you know, something that's completely an accident or just not completely accurate, but you know what they meant to, were trying to say, you know, there's no forgiveness anymore. Oh, that's fake news. You know, that's not true. And, you know, and, and, and really it's taken so out of context. It's, it's, it's very frustrating how they do that, but I, I like to end on solutions in my product. I like to leave listeners hopeful. So, so two things besides reading and listening and watching very broadly so that you sort of understand the full amount of things out there, look for common ground and, and really try to understand um, the information uh, blanket that's being placed on all of us. 
but fight for freedom, fight for freedom of speech, even when the people using that particular platform, not, I mean, some of the people using that platform might be saying things you completely disagree with. Because right now we have a lot of money being invested in these major airways, these major ways of putting information before you that are encouraging people to agree with censorship if it doesn't agree with them. Yeah. And that's that what might do work when they're scared. Right, when they're scared. And you know, you when you in order to fight for freedom so that you have it when you need it, you have to fight for the right for somebody to speak about something in a way you oppose. You know, it's funny that you bring this up because I have a constitutional attorney come on my channel a lot and he told me that that is the um, utilitarian way of arguing for uh, basic rights and that I'm a uh -oh. utilitarian. Um, but that is that the good or other, bad? <laughs> well, it's second tier to the benevolent way of looking at things because I the way be benevolent. <laughs> uh, I'm utilitarian too, so don't feel bad. Okay. But, um, but he said that the the high the sort of the way when they're in law school that they talk about this is that the and the way that the founding fathers of the United States of America looked at it was that you are given these inalienable rights and that uh, you should have them regardless of whether anyone else like ha you know it's like in in other words instead of arguing well I have to protect it for them so that it is there for me it should just be mm -hmm. I should protect it for them because it's an inalienable right. And that the freedom to yes. express yourself, to speak the truth or to speak, you know, what, what you've found in your own life to be something worthy of sharing, that that's mm -hmm. not something that you have been given by the government. You have yeah. that given by God. And that's supposed to be something that we protect for one another, regardless of whether we ever get it. So that's the benevolent way of looking at it. The utilitarian way, I get it. Like I told him, you know, I, <laughs> you're out with the public. Sometimes it's easier to argue that instead of like ev expecting everybody to be benevolent. But yes, it, that is a great point. And, and I don't think a lot of people realize that. And there are folks on both the right and the left who would agree on that point. And I would say it would be more of like sort of the populist side of either party because they're the ones who look at the establishment and say, wait a second, if you guys have like been keeping us out of the foray here for a long time, and if we allow for the big guys to keep saying like, we're going to protect you at some point, they're going to just throw us all into the dungeon and be done with us. And we'll never have a chance. So we have, so the populist right has to protect the populist left because they start seeing that it, the same thing's happening to both sides. And I, I found that to be a fascinating point of unification on both sides mm -hmm. is folks who are waking up in different political parties saying, hang on a second, maybe actually the 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 majority of us are dealing with the same problems like you said like we're just the same kind of problems trying to feed our families and pay our bills and get a good night's sleep if we can and try to make the world a bit of a better place than it was when we came into it and that we're we're being divided by a, a minority of very powerful voices and yes. and to 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 start more focusing on our points of conversion instead of diversion yeah. Oh, I absolutely love that. That is definitely what we need to do. And, you know, I think because I, when you describe the benevolent uh, reason for protecting freedom of speech and all freedoms really is what I totally agree with. I, I, the utilitarian um, 
sort of argument, I believe, is part of the journey that that you have to sometimes take in order to change perspectives or help people understand if they're like over, um, you know, at one place and you, you know, you, you want them to kind of look down the road to what it might imply. That's often the argument, like in the whole vaccine um, debate, even though, you know, I have my own personal beliefs and stance and health choices regarding vaccines, I will always argue for individual choice to choose a vaccine product because I believe in medical freedom. I believe in, in, in freedom of choice, but I believe in fully informed freedom of choice, not um, coerced, you know, into making a choice. And, and so sometimes when you have people who've been so much immersed in the language of vaccines are safe and effective, injuries are one in a million, all the things we know not to be true, um, in order for them to sort of understand why they would want to even fight to retain their religious and personal exemption to vaccination for their children to attend school, sometimes it has to be something like, well, like when a shot comes along that they don't want, like the HPV shot, a lot of parents are saying no, because, you know, a lot of reasons. And you have to say, well, if you don't protect your right to say no, that's utilitarian, um, then if somebody decides to add it, you won't be able to say no. And then they wake up, well, wait a minute, I guess I do want to help you fight to retain medical freedom, because I don't want to make that choice. Right. So it's part of that journey. Yeah. And I mean, you were saying like ending on a positive note and like, what can people do? And I think the place to start often is to say, and I, I've unfortunately seen journalists saying this on, cause of course I'm still, they haven't cut me all out yet. They don't see me as a total infiltrator yet. So, but I'm sure someday that I'm going to get blocked from everybody's accounts, but I still, still see how people talk behind the scenes. And, um, and I see, uh, you know, not always, but regularly I see this. I just don't understand how somebody can think this. And now for the general public, it's like, okay, I, I understand. What, but what, for a journalist to say, I just don't understand to leave it at that. I want to, you know, say, then figure it out, figure out why somebody can think that because it's highly unlikely that they're just a lunatic. And that was, mm -hmm. that was sort of the way I approached my journalism and still do is if a large swath of people or even just a few people, but they're very passionate about it, believe something, I'm going to assume that they're not like just totally crazy, but they have somehow figured out a way to, you know, get to this point in a, in a logical thinking. Now, granted, you may get to the end and say, I just disagree. And I think, you know, the facts and the premise of how you got there was wrong. But instead of just writing off entire groups of people who have divergent viewpoints, because I'm just like, I just can't understand. How could you possibly think that? Mm -hmm. I think the first place is like, if that's something you're saying right now, like that's exactly the thing you want to look at and say, okay, I want to figure out to the bottom of it. And as for the health side of it, how many doctors have we seen who have gone from trusted practitioners? I've had Dr. Brownstein, David Brownstein mm -hmm. on my channel for decades. That guy was healing people and looked at as a, an expert in his field. And I know somebody personally who had rheumatoid arthritis, who was healed by him, who no other doctor could help, but boom, overnight, you know, the guy starts talking about vitamin D and boosting your immune system with for COVID to help your body fight it. And now he's, he's shut down by the FTC and he's looked at as a prior. How does a doctor who has been years in practice and looked at 
not as at maliciously at all. He, he's somebody that has been looked mm-hmm. at as expert in his field. Overnight, he goes to to a lunatic. And and that to me is like, come on, you got to sit back and say, how did he start? Like, like what's going on there? Because because it to me, it takes far greater leap of faith to assume that somebody like that is dangerous than it does to start thinking, well, maybe he's actually saying something that makes sense because he said something that made sense for 20 years maybe this makes sense too. Or you have to somehow figure out a reason that a guy like that turned into a crazy person overnight. <laughs> it takes a lot more faith. So yeah. that's all I say is just like, if you're looking at these headlines and, and keep in mind, it's not all the conspiracy that people think it is. In some cases, journalists just don't have time anymore to be critical thinkers. They're churning yeah. out material far faster than their brains can keep up with. So there's that too, which is probably even more problematic than mm-hmm. the you know advertising revenue and the and the audience um, search optimization side of things. Yeah. And so if you're sitting back thinking, how does somebody think that? Go figure it out. Don't Go just f- keep looking at them like they're crazy. That is a perfect place to end here, Allison. I want to thank you so much for joining me. I'm going to have you on again. I, I hope you'll come on again. There's never enough time to talk about no. this subject. You know, all kinds of great things too. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, tell everybody your YouTube channel real quick. It's just youtube.com slash Allison Morrow, one L, two R's. Excellent. Just like tomorrow Thank without you. the two. Yeah. Thank you so much. And I want to remind listeners, if you like the show, if you want to stay informed, especially as we're heading toward the next legislative session, if you want to know what legislation might be impacting your personal freedom choices, please support Informed Choice Washington with your donations. If you give to the C4, you can support this show and informed life radio. You've been listening to 1150 AM KKNW. Everybody have a great weekend. During this unprecedented response to an infection outbreak, it has been made very clear that shutting down lives and businesses is not sustainable or repeatable. We've also learned that it's unnecessary. Treatments exist and always exist. For 99% of the population, nutrients and oxidative therapies that support the immune system and improve symptoms are always available to address viral infections. For the less than 1% who need more, Inexpensive, unpatentable drugs can be added to the nutrient therapies to improve outcomes. It's time each and every one of us empower ourselves with this knowledge. We need not ever bring our lives to a halt again. We can both save lives and retain the liberty that nourishes us body and soul. Learn more at HealthyImmunityNow.org. That's HealthyImmunityNow.org.